right, good morning. Now you can stand back up real quick. Sorry about that, David, didn't tell you that. If you would for me, turn to a neighbor, uh, do a little greeting time, tell people you, you are glad that they are here. So... Welcome, welcome, everybody. Thank you for being here. Let's stay standing. We're going to read a scripture together, but I do want to put in another plug for tonight. Uh, if you uh, are around this evening or if you want to invite a friend and they haven't seen The Chosen yet, even if you have already seen it, I'd encourage you to come back up here and watch it together as a church family. Uh, we're going to watch episode one uh, from season one tonight. It's around 50 minutes long, and it's going to be, if you've seen it, you know how good it is. If you haven't seen it, I'm excited to introduce The Chosen to a lot of people tonight. It's going to be great. So be here tonight at seven. It'll be fun. Bring your popcorn, bring your whatever, your jujubes or whatever you want, but uh, you won't be here that long. At the end of it, we'll have a little time for Q&A, just talk about the gospel a little bit. It won't take long, five, ten minutes, and then we'll, we'll get out of here, but glad that y'all are here. We're talking about marriage today, so we're going to begin with the Song of Songs, uh, this psalm that is the greatest of all songs, because it's a love song. It is a metaphor for husband and wife, but it is also a metaphor for the intimate love between God and his people. So just listen to this. Don't read it with me today. Just listen to this declaration of what marriage is to be like. The psalmist says, place me like a seal over your heart. Like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unwielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. It just wouldn't be enough. So did you guys notice something this morning when you came in? You probably didn't, but we all brought it in. Did you notice your box? Everybody in here brought a box in with them today. Every relationship, everybody that has a relationship of any kind, whether it's a relationship with family or relationship with a church family, if it's a new friendship, but especially if it's a marriage. Oh, especially if it's a marriage. We bring in a box. And that box looks something like this. It's a box full of our ideas and our wants and our desires. It's a box packed full of things that we bring into so many different kinds of relationships. Church relationships, family relationships, and of course, marriage. You brought this box with you on the first date you ever had if you are married. Those of you who are hoping to get married someday or dating somebody that is maybe potential for that, you're carrying this box with you right now. In fact, you'll even bring it to the altar when you stand in front of your spouse and you give your vows. You will bring it, and to you, this box full of ideas and wants and desires, it makes you happy. 
Because what's in the box is things like what I expect out of this relationship, right? The ideals I have for how to parent, the ideas I have for, for how we'll spend money and budget. Or some of you will say, what's a budget? I don't have any idea for that, right? You will have wants and desires for how you'll raise kids and how your romantic life will look like, how you'll continue to woo each other. And you bring this box to every relationship, but especially that marriage relationship. And when you bring that to somebody else, you perceive it as a joy, right? Because these are your things, right? This is fun for me to carry around. This is what I expect. I give it to Allison and I'm like, here you go. But when you give it to somebody else, it's usually not something that gives them joy, right? You're not necessarily giving somebody else ideas and wants and desires. What you're giving them is expectations. And expectations aren't always welcome, right? Think about it this way. None of us, when we date or when we get into a relationship, are thinking about being the right person. What we are coming to the relationship with is expecting to find the right person, right? We keep score. I want to look for somebody, or in my marriage, I want to have somebody that has these things checked off the box. We very rarely, or at least I didn't, maybe I'm alone in this, didn't really think about me being Mr. Right. I was looking for Miss Right. I found her. Right? And she puts up with me. But we rarely think about that. What we do instead is we hand people our box. And that's why relationships can be so difficult. Because when we hand our box to someone of ideas and wants and desires, what we're actually handing them is expectations. And you guys know what expectations are. They are premeditated marital frustrations. They are premeditated difficulty. They are premeditated arguments. This is why marriage, it's why church, it's why relationships are so difficult. And today what we're going to do out of the book of Genesis, this is part of our Genesis summer series, is we're going to get back to the beginning. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 with me or get on the app with me and let's walk through some passages today. Man, I would love to start hearing more Bibles open up in here, guys. Okay, all right. <laughs> An expectation I'm putting on you. A premeditated frustration is, let's open our Bibles up. Let's get into the Word. In Genesis chapter 2, we're going to gather what we can about God's initial idea for relationships what God created, and what the first couple experienced and how they were created. And I want to I tell you here, there is treasure in Genesis chapter 2. There is a treasure in this text. It's a treasure whether you're a newlywed, whether you've been married for decades, or simply you're somebody who says, you know what, I may just be in middle school, but I do expect to get married someday. <laughs> Lean in today, even if that's you. If you are expecting to somehow in your life have a long-term relationship, this is an exciting teaching that I pray will challenge you and connect you with God in a new way today. And I want to pray about that. So grab a hand, if you will, and let's get into 
some scripture, but before we do that, let's ask God to bless us. Let's pray. Our Father and Lord, be with us today as we open up your word. May it bless us, may it draw us close, may we find new insight, not just for knowledge's sake, but for life's sake, for us to be transformed today. God, we pray over marriages. God, it's tough. And Christian marriages, unfortunately, haven't been much different than world marriages. God, we need to repent of that. Because, Father, we know that you've called us to a different standard, to live like Christ. And, Father, I pray that we will see Jesus today, that you will make much of your Son, and that he will be exalted, and that we will be humbled, that we will hold you up, and that we will take the necessary steps, whether that's repentance or whether that's a renewal, whether that's us just saying it's time for me to get in the game, it's time for me to get in this marriage and engage, or whether it's just for maybe some of our younger people to say, I need to set this as a priority in my life. Whatever it is, Father, just do your work in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's begin here. Genesis 2, verse 7. Now, Genesis 2 is different than Genesis 1. I'll explain that in a second, but let's first hear this passage. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man. Hebrew word there for man is ish. Ish. From the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man, the ish, became a living being. The story of God opens with two creation stories. Chapter 1, a cosmological God who speaks and things happen. Chapter 2, a version and a vision of God who gets down into the dirt and works with the dirt and gets his hands dirty and is so close to creation that he can breathe. He can perform CPR on this man and the man becomes a living being. This Hebrew Ish. Then, the first few verses following this, picking it up in verse 18, show us that there is this man, and this man has a great need. He's in need of something. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Hold on to that term. A helper suitable or suitable helper. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground. This is, a, this is a throwback. He formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds. Who else did he form out of the ground? This ish, right? This man. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam... No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, the woman, an isha. And he brought her to him, to the man, the ish. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called isha, woman. For she was taken out of ish, man. 
That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So early on in the biblical narrative, there is a problem on God's good creation. It is a problem of loneliness, a problem in the text. A man, this ish, has no one to relate to, to connect with. And God sees this issue, and as a loving God who gets his hands in the dirt, does something about it. It's interesting in the text that God notices the problem, and then the thing that follows next in the text is God has a parade of sorts. He kind of takes all the animals in front of Adam. It's a way of showing Adam, I believe here, that there is nothing equal. There is nothing of, that you can unite with, Adam. And so Adam names the animals, not just for namesake, but it's like a parade. For Adam to go, hey, there's really nothing here that is suitable for me. There's nothing that can be equal to me. Man was formed out of the dirt, so all the animals and birds were too. And so each one comes before this ish. And God says, there's nobody here. There's nothing to, to help alleviate this problem. There is no suitable helper. None of them can give the ish relationship. None of them can give this man what he needs or fulfill what is missing. So in the next phase, God gets to work. He performs the first surgery. He puts Adam to sleep, this man, and then out of his side, he creates another human being. And when Adam, this man, the ish, sees the woman, he proclaims this beautiful phrase, she is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And then he names her, not Eve, he doesn't name her Eve until chapter 3, but he names her what he knows he is, ish and isha, corresponding equality. Ish now has an equal. Not an animal, not another creation, but an equal creation. Someone made out of the same stuff from his side. And there is such beauty in this story. There's beauty and treasure in the details, just like in Genesis 1 last week. God's goal in creation is goodness, right? He saw all that he had made, and it was very good. But by chapter 2, we realize there is not complete goodness. So to complete the goodness, he makes man a helper. Or what the NIV said, a suitable helper. A suitable helper. Now we're going to work on this phrase for just a little bit. We're going to do a little bit of theology. We're going to dive into this, and this may be some things that you've never heard before, and it may be even some things that you go, ooh, Jake, that's not what I was taught. But I want you to lean in, because this is how the Bible begins. And Genesis 1 and 2 matters for how we read the rest of the Bible. So the Hebrew here for suitable helper is the phrase ezer konegdo. Now we're going to deal with these each one at a time. So hang with me just for a little bit. Kind of put your student ad on for a little bit. We're going to work on these words. First word is ezer. This is the word for help or helper. 
It appears 22 times in your Old Testament. And while we hear this phrase in our English ears, we hear it as somebody less than. That is not the Hebrew idea. Let's be careful, church, about using English definitions to describe Hebrew or Greek words. It's bad Bible study. We do it all the time, but it's bad Bible study. We say, well, that's what it means to me. Well, that's not what it meant to the original audience. Ezer, as helper to our English ears, means, well, yeah, it's a sidekick. It's somebody on the JV, right? It's somebody that's like a hired help, but that is not the Hebrew term. The Hebrew term for Ezer appears 22 times in the Old Testament text. 16 of those times, it is a word used as a descriptor for God. 16, the vast majority of the times, Ezer is, appears to say this is who God is. And what it means is God is rescuer. He is saver, savior. He is connector. That is the word Ezer. I'll show you a couple of the examples of this. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my Ezer, a suitable helper, where does my help come from? My Ezer comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Is God subservient? No. Psalm 20, 1 and 2. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you an ezer. May he send you help. This word is not less than. It is not denoting something of lower value than Adam, than the ish. It is denoting something more, something of equal value, someone who is correspondingly the same. What did Adam need? He needed rescue from his loneliness, and God made woman to be his rescuer. Now, there's more to this. The phrase is not just Ezer, it's Ezer Konegdo. Now, this is one of those words in Hebrew that we're going to focus in on, but this word is tough. We, it's one of those words where, you know, there's Spanish words that we don't have English words for, right? Flores family, there's, there's words that just don't translate good, right? Between all languages. Well, Hebrew is a language that's been dead for, ancient Hebrew has been dead for thousands of years. And there's a lot of words in Hebrew that we just don't quite get in English. And this is one of them. Connecto, which we translate as suitable, actually means something better. Ancient rabbis said connecto is like having an opposing side of a bird. It's wings. So you have the ish, who is maybe the right side of the bird, wing, and then you have the connecto, a suitable helper that's the left side, and only together does the bird fly. That's how rabbis described connecto with language that would provoke imagery. Connecto directly means, it, it literally means, corresponds or stands in opposition to. Somebody that corresponds to or stands in opposition to. Now we Again, I hate to even use that phrase because when we hear opposition, we hear fights and we hear, we hear struggle and we hear that language. But that's not what I mean. I'll show you what it means. 
The word actually means helps stand in correspondence to. Ezer Kenegdo, a suitable helper. I'll show you with these boards. The idea is, is that God knew that Adam was lonely. And on his own, he would fall. On his own, he would not need, have everything he needed to fulfill the mission of God that he gave him. To make the world a beautiful place. To go on and continue to, in the creative purposes of God. To bless the world. To be fruitful and multiply. So he created an Ezer Konegdo. Somebody that could oppose him. And they could both stand. They oppose each other directly. You see that? That's the imagery here in Genesis chapter 2. That God is looking for somebody to stand in opposing force so that they can complete their mission. Now, this doesn't work if we think a connecto is somebody that's less than. Does it? If you stand above your partner and say, you must do these things, why? It doesn't work. It falls. Or if the female does that to the male, it doesn't work, right? Because the idea is equal Opposing forces. An ish and an isha. The same force holding each other up. What Genesis 2 is doing, this is so good, is it's telling us about humanity and relationships. It's telling us that there's something missing when we have a room full of men. And there's something missing when you have a room full of women. It's not that that's bad, it's just that there's something missing. God's original intent is this. That's why it's dangerous for us to read chapter 3 before we read chapters 1 and 2. Because we often read chapter 3 and say, well, there's going to be hostility between the male and female. You know why there's hostility between male and female? Because of sin. This is God's original intent. That's Genesis 1 and 2. It's funny how the church sometimes upholds the curse instead of the original intent. Right? Ooh, that may get me in trouble. But that's scripture. That is scripture. It is Ezer Konegdo. Opposing forces for a reason. How do I know this is true? Well, look at what, look at what uh, Adam says. Look at what the Ish says. He says, this is now bone of my bone. What's that mean? Equal to my equal, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called Isha, right? There's that old joke, she shall be called, whoa, man, right? Right, because she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother, and he's united to his wife, and they become what? One flesh. They work together. Now, notice this. Where is Eve, we'll call her Eve, or the Isha, where is the Isha taken from, right? From Adam's side. His rib is what the scripture says. The Hebrew really doesn't say rib. That's kind of just an interpretive like lens that we've used for a while. Uh, it's not true. Men, if you've heard this, let's dispel a myth. Men don't have one less rib than women. Okay, if somebody told you that, they, they needed to take an anatomy class. <laughs> if you told kids that, like, well, that's why men have one less rib than women. That's not true. Count them. 
You know, it's the same, okay? Unless you have, unless you were born, like if you have six toes, maybe you have an extra rib. I don't know, right? But it's just not true because what the imagery is is the side. The rib's not, not necessarily the issue. It's that what God is trying to say there and what the ancient rabbis would say is Eve was not made from Adam's foot so that Adam could stomp on her nor was she made from his head so that she could rule over him. She was taken from his side so they could have Ezer connected, so they could work in unity and be one. You with me? Now that's the goal of marriage. One flesh. This is the goal. This is how marriages are supposed to work. This is the treasure in the text, that this is the way God intended it. So how do we do this? Just really quick, just two quick things on how we model this as a church, how we display this to the next generation, how we as a church can say, you know what, we work on our marriages here because it's tough, but our goal is this. It's for us to lean in. And the first one I would give to you is this, is we've got to be people that know God can't be seen until we lean now, that's cheesy, I get it, but hang in with me. Stick, stick with me. Scripture declares what? No other suitable was found. There was no place for Adam, this man, this ish, to find fulfillment. It was only right here when the isha, his equal, came and they were able to unite and be one in purpose, both made in the image of God. So here's the deal. If we lean in, to other things, if we get married but we kind of do our own thing or, or maybe we lean into, I don't know, making sure we have enough money or, or we're worried more about something over here. Guys, maybe it's, man, I just, I, I really love my beer drinking buddies so I'm going to work over here for a little bit and we lean over here or, or ladies, I lean into my friendships or shopping or whatever it may be. Over time, what happens to this? Maybe not immediately, maybe not instantly, but slowly things start to erode, right? And when they erode, that's what happens to marriages. They fall down because we start leaning into the wrong thing. What God says is you got to lean. God can't be seen. The image of God in us can't be seen until we lean. And the reason is because the ultimate revelation, the ultimate revelation of God is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3, right? Hebrews 1.3. Ultimate revelation of God is Jesus Christ. And how did Jesus reveal himself over and over and over again? As a servant. As someone who said, I'm not here for myself, but I'm here to lean in, to show you the way of God. Find a joyful person. Find a marriage that's really working, and here's what you'll see. Two people serving each other, giving to each other, not taking from each other, not saying, here's my box of expectations, deal with it but instead learning to love and lean into others' needs, leaning in to bless each other. Could it be 
Could it be possible that Paul, whose glossary and index of sources was the Old Testament, had Ezra Konegdo in mind when he wrote Ephesians 5.21? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Could it be that he didn't just pull that out of his hat? Right? He didn't. He knew the original intent of Scripture. And before he says in verse 22, wives submit to your husband, which guys like to pull out of context and say, see, what we like to do is pull that out of context and say, yo, I'm the man, I'm the man. Right? Right? That's what we love to do. That's not what the passage says. We forget there's a verse 21 that says, both of you lean in. God can be seen when you lean because both of you are saying, I'm here to hold you up. You're here to hold me up. I'm not worried about being held up because you're holding me up. You see that? Isn't that great? Isn't scripture amazing? It's showing us the, it's showing us the picture. One of you thinks scripture is amazing. Thank you. All right. One of you. This is what God is doing. Paul goes on to say all these things about wives submitting to your husband, but he also says to men, love your wife like Jesus loved the church. And what did Jesus do? He leaned into death so that we could be here this morning, right? We lean in. That's why I think the best way we can apply this is we can say this. Guys, you want a good marriage? Marriage is a submission competition. Now, maybe you don't like that word competition, but here's what I mean by that. Look at these boards. Which one's holding up the other? Is the male board holding up the female board? Is the female board holding up the male board? The answer is yes. Right? Which one's winning? None. Which one's in charge? Both. Because here is what is happening. Both are letting Jesus be Lord. It is a submission competition. The command in Ephesians 5.21 is mutual. So if you don't hear anything else today, this is what makes a marriage great. This is the secret. If you are a young lady or a young man and you're hoping to get married someday, don't marry some, ladies, don't marry some fool that doesn't know this, okay? And there's a bunch of them out there. I'm looking at some single ladies over here, all right? And guys, don't think that you're going to get some girl to uh, do this if you're not willing to do it too, right? That's what we've got to look for. That's what you've got to do. The secret is submitting. I am submitting to Christ, therefore I submit to Allison, not to get something from her, but because I love Jesus. I am not in it for me. I'm not doing something. For, I don't wash the dishes so I can make a mark on my board so that Allison can go, well, you wash the dishes. Want to go to the bedroom? You know, or something like that, right? <laughs> Sorry, that was way over the line. Uh, right? That's not what I do. Or, hey, honey, can you go get the groceries just so, just so I can get something out of it? Well, I wash the dishes, Allison. You better take out the trash. No, that's scorekeeping. I'm not in it for me. When I have my heart centered on Christ, I'm in it for Jesus. It is out of reverence, right? What's the passage say? I probably embarrassed my wife real bad there. I'm not embarrassed. Um, 
out of reverence for Christ. What's reverence? Awe, wonder, worship, love, passion for Christ. I am in it for Jesus. It is a submission competition. Now, of course, I'm not saying in a marriage there won't be different roles and relationships, different gifts and talents, different things for us to do. But here's the thing. While there will be different roles and different, and different ways of doing marriage and there's different gifts and talents that need to be upheld in marriage, what I am saying is that there should never be different value. That one is somehow more valuable than the other. And shame on us if we do that. It is ish and it is isha. Male and female, both created in the image of God. Not one with a little bit more and one with a little less. Both of equal value. Because why do we have equal value? Well, let's go back to our boards. Here's how we know we have equal value. All right? This is how we know we have equal value. Because... God bent over man and he breathed life into him, right? He formed him. I like to think of like clay or Play-Doh and he, he forms this little guy like we do as kids and then he gets so close to his lips and he goes, Whew. isn't that a beautiful image? And the spirit of God and the, the thing that gives us life entered the man and it raised up Adam. And then he put Adam to sleep and then out of that, who raised up Eve as well? God. Both are raised up by God. And so what our job is, because we both were raised up by the Lord, is to continually have submission to him. And then a beautiful marriage. You see how that works? Man, that's awesome. I told you there was a treasure in this. That when you're fighting, when you're not getting along, your job's not to try to win. Your job is to mutually submit. When you're having struggles and you're wrestling, I'll tell you one thing that needs to change in our world is the last people to find out when there's marriage problems in a church is usually the church because we're ashamed of marriage problems. Can we all just admit that, that marriage is, is difficult? Who in here has had an issue in your marriage lately? Okay, so people are raising their hands, right? Thank you, some of you. Some of you are like, I've never had a problem because my wife just does what I say, all right? <laughs> you're the problem, dude. <laughs> um, you're the, right? It's tough. And if we're all in it for Jesus, we need to help each other stay in it for Jesus. Because your marriage has value and your future marriage has value. That's why I say to young people, don't date dummies. Right? Date people who want and love Jesus more than they want and love you. So that you can experience gift of having an Ezra Konegda, a suitable helper. So we're not here today to lie about marriage problems, we're not here today to hide behind them or to hide from them. I imagine a church, if, they, if we could be honest about the struggles we have in our relationships, that could reach out into a community looking for answers 
If we could just be a people who says, you know what? Everybody struggles. That's why everybody is going to help each other. Everybody struggles, so we're going to help each other. It takes sitting down. It takes to have a successful marriage look like this. When you're having problems, it takes honesty. It takes vulnerability. It takes getting with another married couple. It takes mentorship. It takes older couples. Older couples, we need you to say, you know what I need to do? I need to take out younger couples to lunch and show them this is how you make it through those teen years when you have teens. Or show them this is how you make it through those times when your kids are infant to five-year-old and you feel like it'll never end, right? It's hard. We need that in our church because that's what the church is here for after all. After all, we are a bride and we have a groom. And we have a groom who said, I will love you to the end. And as the bride, we need to submit to him, which looks like being vulnerable and honest about the help we need. Right? That's what makes marriages great. Not denial, but living in mutual submission loving each other. I don't know if this hits you today. I don't know if this is something that you go, man, I really like that. It may be something you're like, Jake, I totally disagree with what you said about marriage. That's fine. That's awesome. We're on the same team. If you disagreed with me, I still think we're on the same team. You may not want me on your team. That's fine. I was picked last for dodgeball sometimes too. All right. I get that. Um, but let's all lean into Christ. The story begins with this. It begins where it ends. With relationships work, when I'm in it, not for me. Not with my expectations, not with my box. But when I'm in it to say, you know what I can do today for you? I'm going to help you get your ideals and your wants and your desires filled. Not because I expect anything in return but because I love you like Jesus loves you. That's marriage. Let's stand together and let's sing. If you need anything as we're gonna sing, if we're here to pray for you, if you need to pray with one of our shepherds, grab one of them, they'll be in the back. And uh, we're excited that you are here today and I hope this was a blessing to you. Let's sing out.